now we think of post-COVID, this post-pandemic, what's our future going to look like? I don't think we're going to go back to the norm. The norm has brought us here. That's Rosalie Labilloa. She's co-chair of the Assembly of First Nations National Youth Council. She's our guest on this episode of the Akamemak Podcast. I'm your host, Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Welcome, Tawau, to the Akamemak Podcast. Akamemak is Cree for you all persevere, or in other words, keep going and don't give up. On this podcast, we will discuss the leading issues facing First Nations peoples with top experts, elders, and community leaders. And right now, the leading issue is this COVID-19 pandemic. And today, we're going to get the view on the impact of COVID-19 on First Nations from a young person's perspective. We're happy to be joined by Rosalie Labilloa. She's co-chair of the Assembly of First Nations National Youth Council, and she's an emerging leader of the Mi'kmaq Nation from the East Coast. She's a 22-year-old strong Mi'kmaq woman from Kispegewage, District 7. She's currently a second-year student in the Adult Mi'kmaq Immersion Program in Lustigush, Quebec. Rosalie is dedicated to continue to advocate for the wisdom that's been handed down to us by our forefathers with the hopes of inspiring others to pick up their bundles once again. Welcome to the podcast, Rosalie. Uh, thank you, Perry. So, as co-chair of the Assembly First Nations Youth Council, what are the COVID-19 challenges that you're hearing about this the most? Um, yes, some of the challenges that we see as young people is, you know, right now the, the struggles of social distancing. We're seeing that as, as kind of the big thing, you know, as young people are so used to gathering and, and to be in uh, with one another again, especially for those students who are in university. That was a really big struggle for them and learning how to cope with, you know, learning from home and not having their regular schedule in that same structure that they're used to. I could see that was being, you know, a big issue for them. And But I'm really happy to see that a lot of our, our young people have persevered and, you know, got to finish their, their you know, this last semester and, <clears throat> and they were able to do fine during that. But that was kind of one of the things that we were, you know, we had on our radar as well. And there's a big thing that came into like mental health as well. Um, for our young people that our, our norm was missing, right? Mm-hmm. So the coming together, the visiting, the interacting, and it's like Zoom time and FaceTime just don't cut it. Was that kind of the big thing coming yeah, out? Yeah, and, and I, I think it's because of a lot of the, the language maybe that could have been used in a lot of um, the resources that it just wasn't relatable for our young people, that they couldn't really understand you know, the dynamics of what it meant to, you know, social isolation or social distancing, you know, that physical distancing, like, you know, understanding Mm -hmm. the, you know, how the, you know, just the scientific matter of, you know, the, the spacing in between us, why, you know, it's because of that exchange of, you know, the, the bacterias and those different germs and, you know, so it doesn't. It didn't seem like it was setting, but there was. I find there was some resources that I had seen that were very um, informative in a visual way. You know, having like that one hockey stick apart or the length of a moose, and those types of things were able for me to understand better uh, what mm-hmm. that what that looks like. That visualization. 
What are the biggest things, uh, Rosalie, talking to different leaders across Canada and different First Nations territories, was that they're, they're always saying, getting young people to understand or accept that, that you, you can't come together, like to accept self-distancing and self-isolation seriously. Like that was a big challenge in a lot of reserves, a lot of First Nations. Um, a lot of chiefs said that our young people just aren't listening. You know, like people go off sometimes like that. Um, and, and a lot of leaders were expressing that. And uh, what do you think should be done to help make that happen? Like to get it, like, because this is, uh, we try to stress, like if you, you get this and you go home, your aunties, your uncles could get it. Your 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 grandpas and grandmas could get it. And so there is a challenging, like, how, what do you think should be done to maybe help get that awareness to the young people that this is important? I think one of the big things that we kind of focus on, like, within our council is, like, it's nothing about us without us. And if it's not accessible, then it's not revolutionary, you know, that type of thing. And so what I'm seeing mm-hmm. is, like, yeah, I understand this, like, the concern that our leadership has, but it's really trying to consider if they've ever really taken the time and effort to incorporate us into that, you know, whether it's that strategic planning into the, you know, this, if we're having a pandemic plan or something like that, then include us into that, have somebody to sit on that committee with them. And and so we could add in our perspective because a lot of times it's the same thing, right? We always get that Mm -hmm. young people, young people, but, you know, there has to be yeah. space for us to be there at first, you know. <laughs> so it's basically what you're saying is, hey, chief and council, so if you want the young people to listen to this, involve us and include us and get us on all these uh, um, pandemic emergency planning committees or even I know some reserves have uh, youth chiefs and councils too. Yeah. you know, be part of decision making. So that's a good recommendation going forward. Awesome. Now. I understand that you've been working as an access control monitor in your community during this pandemic. What's the experience been like doing that? And what have you learned in terms of how to manage a pandemic at the local level, you know, being a control monitor in your community? What's that been like? It's been a a month already since uh, we've been working. Um, And we've been doing four days on, four days off, that kind of thing. And, uh, but it's pretty like the, the community understanding of it, like, you know, why we're out there and why we're stopping traffic from coming into our communities just to lower the risk of a community spread, right? Like you were saying, it just, it, it just takes one person to really, you know, make that, you know, make that change really. Like, you know, somebody could infect one family and that could spread throughout the whole community. And we have a fairly small community. Um, but right now we're seeing um, with the government of New Brunswick, they have... Um, they have lifted some restrictions. And so now we're allowed to have like one family, uh, one other bubble to our, our little group. Like uh, for instance, my family, uh, we're allowed to go see my brother and his kids are allowed to come over. And you know, so that was kind of the, some of the restrictions we've seen that were lifted. Um, but mm-hmm. pretty much the community has like a, a greater understanding of why these access control points were put in our community and, and most of them are very respectful of, of what it is and trying to keep other people accountable too. I think as a community, that's something that we all struggle with. We're all, you know, in some sort of way related to one another. And, and so, and especially for coming from a small community, things like that are really hard to kind of navigate those relationships, but we're seeing a lot of, um, a lot of really good change as well. Like our families coming together and helping each other out during these hard Mm -hmm. times. 
Yeah. So it's kind of like you're out on the line there saying who comes in, who shouldn't uh, be in and who stays out. It's like essential services is always something that you're seeing now at the front line, I guess. Eh? Yeah. It, uh, it's, not, it's not just anybody that can come in. Like, um, I know some reserves have said only, of course, band members, citizens of that nation mm-hmm. can come in and go and then only essential services. So that's been stressed a lot. So is that something that you're do- also doing at the front line? Yeah, there? we're only allowing access to our residents. Um, and some mm-hmm. communities in the province ha- actually have curfews. Uh, so that, but for us, uh, luckily, we don't have that. We have a little bit more uh, freedom when it comes to that. Um, but it's it's only made to residents and essential workers. And we're situated on a municipal street as well. And there's a jail, so we give access mm-hmm. to the workers, of course. And but pretty much that we've slowed down a lot of flow through traffic um, in our community. Um, it was like, it was, we have like a lot of young people who actually um, started to work and, and the way I was able to interpret that is like, you know, if you look at your clan systems, right, and look back to those, those traditional ways of, of governing ourselves. And, you know, I, I thought about it and I was like, you know what, I'm 22 years old, I'm in good health, you know, nobody else should be out there besides us, really, you know, when it comes to like our elderly people and, you know, those who are getting up in age, they, they shouldn't be out there, you know. So I really seen it mm-hmm. as a responsibility as a, as a young person from that clan that I come from. You know, that it's my duty, my responsibility to be out there as well, too. Awesome. Well, Rosalie, can you share, like, um, some of the, some examples or some of the innovative and creative things that young people have been doing in the last few months to deal with COVID-19? Uh, young people are so smart. They're innovative. They got new ways and new thing, new, new ways to handle this thing. Is there anything that jumps out at you that, oh, wow, yeah, this is happening in this territory. These young people are doing this. Is there anything that sticks out that that's a pretty good idea, pretty innovative on how to deal with COVID-19 as it hits our territories? Yeah, um, some of the things that I've seen with some of our, our reps from across the country um, is they're, they're maintaining um, – their scheduled calls, you know, uh, that was the one thing for them to keep in touch and really to be able to check in with one another is like really important and having the opportunity to do so. And, and, and luckily we have that technology, right, with Zoom or FaceTime, like just to be able to see one another is like brings a lot of comfort and being able to like, you know, check in and, and make sure like see how they're doing. Um, but I've seen a lot of different challenges, like on social media too. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. challenging uh, young people to, you know, um, whether it comes to social distancing or see. I actually seen like a lot of videos of like um, of a lot of the security workers doing, uh, you know, challenges, having dances, and it just brings, I think. As Indigenous people, we have that great sense of humor and being able to laugh. Like it just makes it makes mm-hmm. everything so much easier, you know, today with what's happening. And you know, so those are some of the good things that I've seen and, and a lot of people really stepping up to the plate in, in regards to their own leadership as well, too, like in their communities and being that, you know, being that strong voice for their young people and, and standing up and advocating for their needs. Uh, I see a mm-hmm. lot of people doing that on social media as well too and it's and it's really inspiring like it just it's a lot of comfort seeing um you know because sometimes as as young leaders we feel that um 
we feel like the world is on our shoulders. Uh, being able to share that responsibility with others, it's, it's really, uh, it brings a lot of comfort. Yeah. So things like the, we have to look at it, all the security dance, the top the security dance contests across Canada and First Nations, the different moves. Like even now you're starting to see like virtual powwows, uh, virtual round dances, virtual singing contests. So that's all starting to come out and keeps uh, people grounded. That's awesome. Um, and uh, standing up on social media for our needs. Those are really good things to suggest. So there's a lot of things going on. Our young people are finding creative ways to deal with this COVID-19 thing. Going forward now, what do you think that young people want to see as a time of physical distancing winds down, you know, and things are starting to lighten up a little bit because now you see the economies in different provinces starting to open up, you know, things are starting and, and there's a fear that might be too fast, you know, there's still that fear, but they are starting to lighten up in terms of their restrictions. Um, what do you think the young people would want to see as that starts happening? Um, I know we've talked about more inclusion, you know, involved in decision-making, are there other things or, that young people would want to see done now um, uh, going forward once this pandemic is, is slowly starting to, to wind up and the, the requirements for easing up on the tensions about social distancing and physical distancing? Yeah, I think that's like a huge thing that we've been talking about as well. And we find as, as young people, um, you know, the space wasn't necessarily always there for us to be able to explore and to learn and and to really have that growth in, in our leadership. Um, you know, but I'm beginning to see really uh, beautiful changes within that. You know, there's spaces for our young people to be at these tables now, and, and that's a big change. And, and it's also a very foreign concept for us too, right? It's very... Um, it's very different to try to navigate like these new types of relationships. And I think it's, it's going to come down to us being able to, to define what that relationship will look like in the future. And I even think now we think of post COVID, this post pandemic, what's our future going to look like? You know, I don't think we're going to go back to the mm -hmm. norm. It's the norm is really what had brought us here. And I'm seeing a lot of changes in the way that we think and the shift in that mindset. You know, whether it comes back to going back out on the land, going back fishing or hunting or gathering, you know, we're starting to realize that these were very integral parts of of our society, uh, of our understanding of who we are as, as Indigenous people. Um, you know, and we see, I see a lot of people starting to garden and all these different things. I think there's going to be a shift in what we prioritize as a people, as a mm -hmm. nation. Um and what we see that is important to us. And I think it's going back to who we are and understanding that and how, and reconnecting um, yourself to the land and, you know, building that relationship once again, you know, so I think post COVID, I, I like to see like, you know, a future where our young people are so knowledgeable about the land. They know they could tell, you know, the different weather coming in or, you know, different things like that. Those are really gifts, you know, that I, I view um, that are really important for our people. But mm. I think when we think of this post-COVID as well, that we have to be involved in that that process of what it's going to look like. We have to be involved in the decision makings and what that, you know, what's what's going to be happening. Because, you know, everybody says it's, it's our future, you know, but we're actually the leaders of today. And, and being able to have that type of opportunity, you know, and that place for growth. I think it, it could be something really powerful and really 
um, to change, to make that shift in like this paradigm, right? Like, I think we're at this tipping point and and it's, it doesn't mean that it's a, a bad thing. I think it's a really good thing. And I'm really looking forward to seeing, you know, what is to come. That's awesome. I think uh, you, you hit on a lot of things and uh, uh, like going forward after post COVID-19, this pandemic is done and uh, whether we're talking about what's the new normal going to look like. And um, when I listen to you, it's, it's a, I get the sense of balance between the old and the new and getting back to your land and then your, your culture and who you are and where you come from, having that pride. That's a strong message. And that's something our elders always taught us or, or mentioned to us that we have to walk in both worlds. And we need the, the two systems of education, they used to say. And I used to always wonder about that. You know, what are, what are these old people talking about, two systems? And then, uh, then I asked one time, and I gave tobacco to this old man. He says, yep, we need, uh, 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 they, they called it muniawa, like the, the new education or the, the, the white man education of kindergarten to grade 12 and math and science and literacy and numeracy from First Nations perspective, then on to university and technical vocational skills. All those things are good on one hand. But then you'd go on the other hand, just as important are your languages and your ceremonies and your traditions and uh, all those things about who you are and where you come from and, and to walk in balance with those uh, seven teachings. So that was the two systems he would he would always talk about. And that, that made good sense. And when I listen to you, uh, you, you carry yourself with that. And I want to lift you up and hold you up for that and encourage you to keep doing that going forward. Now, my last question, Rosalie, because you are the AFN co-chair of our AFN National Youth Council. Uh, and this last question is, what's your message to the people listening on the Akamemek podcast coming as a young, strong Mi'kmaq woman uh, from yes, your territory? Uh, thank you uh, very much for your kind words. I think one of the biggest teachings, and this is not just for young people, but, you know, during this time of social isolation and you know, sometimes you have to sit with yourself, right? There's, you can't run away. You can't, you know, go back to your busy life and distract yourself from these things. Um, but one of the biggest things my family, uh, we reflected on is during this time was almost like fasting, you know, being able to sit with yourself. And, you know, sometimes there's not pretty things you like to see, um, you know, but in, for order to things to change, you have to be able to bring them to the surface. Mm. And so I could see a lot of young people struggling with that because they never really took that time to sit with themselves, to get to know themselves and, and really down to the core of who they are. Um, but one of the biggest teachings that I've learned is to be proud of who you are, to allow that, you know, to, to take that direction in your life, to be able to, you know, in a, in a way to surrender to that higher calling of who you are and, and to be proud of that because I've seen my spirit take me to beautiful places and I've met the most beautiful people who have crossed my path. And I wouldn't have been able to do that if I didn't allow myself to flourish in that way. You know, if I didn't allow people to see that real uh, me and being able to accept who I am and love who I am and support who I am and really believe in that. And so I think that's one of the biggest messages. And sometimes it's, it's like a hard thing to grasp. Um, but over time, you begin to understand things. It's like when an elder tells you a story, they're not going to tell you like the lesson in it. You have to learn it yourself too. And in order to do that, you have to take that time to, to really listen, to feel it, to, 
you know, to begin to understand it in that mm. way. So I think that's that's one of my biggest messages is just to be who you are and just like to love that unconditionally and and just allow that to really guide you in your life and where you're going to go. Awesome. Well, Rosalie, thanks so much for coming on the Akamemuk podcast. Thank you very much. I really appreciate this time and I look forward to seeing where things can go. That was Rosalie Labillois, co-chair of the Assembly of First Nations National Youth Council and an emerging leader of the Mi'kmaq Nation from the East Coast. Thank you all for listening to this Akamemuk podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Give us a rating and tell your friends about us on social media. And as always, we want to give a big shout out to the Red Dog Singers of Treaty 4 Territory in Southern Saskatchewan for providing our theme music. Until next time, I'm Perry Belgard, National Chief of the Assembly of First Nations. Yeah.